Again, want to say good morning to you. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to encourage you now, grab your Bibles and let's turn them to uh, or open them to or turn them on to if you have an electronic copy of God's Word. Uh, if you don't have a paper copy or you don't have an electronic copy, right there in the pew in front of you, there is a copy of God's Word. We want to encourage you uh, just to grab that and to open it with us so you can read along uh, together as we study together. Uh, this morning, we're going to start a short series, just about three weeks. Uh, you can see what it's entitled out on the billboard or bulletin board out there. Uh, it's Training for Godliness. It's taking intentional steps to grow in our faith and in our walk with God. A few weeks ago, the children uh, on Wednesday night were learning Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Uh, that was their memory verse. And it says that, God, that we're saved by God's grace through faith and not of our works. And so um, one of the workers came early and set up an obstacle course. It wasn't an easy obstacle course. And the kids had to go through the obstacle course. And when they completed it, they didn't receive anything. They were probably pretty bummed about that. But then they went inside and they had a little tunnel that they had to go through to get into the main room. And the tunnel was kind of small, but they could pass through it. And if they crawled through that tunnel, waiting on the other side was the worker to give them a little bit of a treat. And it was just to simply set their, their minds on this, that if we work to get something, then we miss everything. But if we come to God His way, that narrow way, then God has this free gift that He those who trust in him. And it, it was such an incredible object lesson. I was like, wow, man, I wish that was cre- I was that creative. Um, but for you parents here who maybe don't know, um, that's just a small tidbit of the work that all of our children's workers put into Wednesdays and even Sundays. And so I would encourage you, get your kids here if you can. Uh, as they just learn the truth of God's word uh, the same time that we are. And so give you something to build on when you go home. But it got me to thinking because so often, you know, we want to do it our way. And what would it be like to spend months, if not years, training for something, preparing for one moment in time? And when that time came, all of a sudden somebody said, no, you, you didn't train for the right event. You didn't do it the right way. How frustrating would that be? Yet that's the exact reality that we see, not only in the text where we're about to unpack together, but there, Jesus' very words in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, that he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out many demons in your name and done many marvelous things in your name. But then I will look at them and say, depart from me, you cursed, for I never knew you. How terrible would it be to spend your entire life believing that you are doing what God wants you to do only to find out at the end of your life you weren't even a part of God. And this is the reality that a lot of people are facing right now. Now, I'm not just talking about the people who aren't in church today. 
I'm not just talking about the people who haven't heard the gospel yet. And by the way, uh, there are two billion people on the planet who have never even heard the gospel. There are over four million who have never become born-again Christians. Church, we've got work to do. And that work begins with you and I being the men and women that God has called us to be. And this is really the heart of what Paul is going to talk about today. He's going to show us in the text, making sure that we're training in such a way that when we get to the end of our life, we might hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master, rather than depart from me, you cursed, for I never knew you. So how do we train to win? Well, we're going to look at it, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 24. I'm going to ask if you're able, would you stand to honor the reading of God's word. And uh, one thing that we're going to do that we haven't done in a while, the text is going to appear on the screen behind me as well. So 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 24, it says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body, and bring it under subjection, lest that by any means what I have preached to others, I myself should be be a castaway. This is the reading of God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, we just want to thank you for your word. And God, I just ask that you would give us eyes to see and hearts to receive the truth of your word. That we would look into your word and God that we would just behold the wonder and the beauty and the truth that it has for us in Jesus name amen you may be seated this morning the one big thing for for this message is simply going to be this that the goal of a disciple of Jesus is godliness the goal that God has for you and for for me, who have been saved by his grace, is to grow in godliness, to grow in Christ-likeness. And as we do that, we're going to see exactly what happens. But how do we do that? How is this possible? Well, we're going to look at three specific things. Training to win requires, number one, it requires you to be saved. All right, there in verse 24 is where Paul is going. This text is most likely, uh, Paul's talking about the Isthmian games. Now, these were... Games that were held in the city of Corinth, which is who he's writing to, they were held every three years. They were the second largest sporting event in that world at the time. They were second only to the Olympics that were held in Athens. For an athlete to compete in these Isthmian games, they had to do a few things. First, they had to give proof that they had been training for 10 months. Once they gave proof that they were training for 10 months, then they had to work out for 30 days in the official Isthmian Games gym. All right, so you couldn't just show up on the day of the games and compete. Only once you proved your competence and your ability were you permitted to compete. Now, what in the world does this have to do with you and I and our walk 
with God. It has everything to do with it for this reason. There's only one way we can be in the Christian life, and that is to be saved by God's grace. To have placed all of our faith, hope, and trust in the gospel, which is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for the sins of the world. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no man comes to the Father but by me. Acts 4, 12 says that there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Now, church, we must understand that this world wants to believe a lie. And the lie that they want to believe is that there are multiple ways to God. Another lie that they want to believe is that all roads lead to God. Yet the infallible word of God says there is one way to God. Jesus Christ. Don't apologize for the exclusivity of the gospel. Don't go trying to find other ways when God says there is only one way. See, For you and I to be forgiven, for you and I to have a relationship with God now and to be preparing to be with him for all of eternity requires us to come in faith, surrendering to his grace. That salvation is God's plan, accomplished by God's mean and sealed by his spirit. That you and I contribute nothing to our salvation. That it is a work of God that we become saved. And this is what Paul is getting at here. See, salvation isn't through good works. Salvation isn't through trying to be a good person. Salvation isn't faith in Jesus plus it is faith in Christ alone. Sola Christos. It's part of where the modern hymn that we sang this morning in Christ alone is birthed out of. This belief from the Reformation of the 1500s that we are not saved by what we do. We are saved by God's grace alone. Surrendering to God's grace through faith is the starting line of salvation. It's not the finish line. If a person becomes born again, they have not arrived yet. They are just getting in the starting gate. What God does from that moment that we are born again to the day that we see him face to face is he changes us. He transforms us into the image of his son. Now, I want this to to really help you a little bit. Because how many of you like to have a bad day? All right, how many of you like to plan stuff? All right, how many of you, when you plan stuff and it goes sideways, become very frustrated very quickly? (laughs) Here's the thing, though. You've heard me say this over and over. You want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. Man, God laughs at that. But, but here's, the, here's the thing. Here, how can this help you? It'll help you this way. When you understand that everything in your life, the good days and the bad days, the mountains and the valleys, 
The, the great times and the not so great times. They are all working out for God's glory and your good. When you understand that God is sovereign, he is in control of everything. And so what he is doing in your life is he is conforming you to the image of Jesus. How do I know that? Great question. Go read Romans 8, 28 and 29. It tells us that everything God is doing is to grow you, deepen your faith and trust in him so that he will receive glory from your life that he gave you. We have to be saved or none of this matters. You've heard me say two straight weeks. Here comes week number three. We are not all God's children. Please reject that lie. God's children are those that he has saved by his grace. Everybody else is a child of wrath. They are sons of disobedience, destined for hell, apart from the grace of God saving them. But God wants you to grow in your relationship with him. He wants you to bring him glory. And he wants to use you to reach the lost that before the foundation of the world, he said he was going to save. But it's not going to come naturally. And it's not going to come automatically. So if I really want to grow in godliness, if I want to become more like Christ, what are two specific things that this passage would say I need? Well, the second thing, training to win requires intentionality. One of my favorite quotes from Zig Ziglar, if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. Let's have a little family talk here. There, there are a lot of Christians who are aiming at nothing. And they're hitting it. They, they don't have a point or a purpose in their Christian life. They're just going through life and going, well, you know, whatever will be, will be. If that's where you are, I, I want to just ask you a question. If you don't know what the goal of your life is, how do you know when you hit it? How can you know that you're on the right path if you don't know, even know which path you're supposed to be on? We got to be intentional about these things. Now, what is the goal of the Christian life? Well, we read it earlier this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read the very end of verse 7. It says, and exercise yourself to godliness. The goal of the Christian life is to become godly. That means to become holy. It means to become more Christ-like. This is what you and I are to strive for. Because as we become more godly, you know what we're going to do? We're going to spend more time with our Father in prayer and in His Word. As we become more godly, we're going to serve. We're going to not want to be the first. We'll be okay being the last. We'll take off the outer garment, put on the the towel and we'll get down we'll wash one another's feet as i become more godly i'm going to go out and share the gospel with the lost so the more i become like jesus the more he conforms me to his image the more glory my life gives him and the greater my life can be used by him so we want to strive to become more godly But it's not going to happen by accident. D.A. Carson has a great quote. He says, no one drifts into godliness. 
It's not just going to happen. It's going to require intentional choices. What we see in verse 26 is Paul saying, everything I do has a purpose of knowing God and making Him known. That this is what I want my life to be about. Paul would evaluate every opportunity he got based on this. How will it help me know God? And how can this help me share the gospel with the lost? I encourage you to ask yourself those two questions. Because you're going to get a lot of opportunities in life. There's a lot of things that we can do. But we need to ask with gospel intentionality, how is this going to help me grow more like Christ? Or how is this going to help me make God known more? And the reality is, if it doesn't help me know him or make him known, it may be a good thing, but it's not a God thing. So say no thanks. But it also causes us to allow God to rewire our minds to look at everything with a gospel purpose. Now, I'm not going to go to work on Monday just to get a paycheck. Now I'm going to go to work on Monday because that is my mission field and there's co-workers there that need to see and hear about the gospel and God has sent me there to do that. And now when I go to the ball field with my boys this week, now I'm not just going to watch them and cheer them on. Now I'm going because there are lost people at that ball field that need to hear the truth of the gospel. When we become intentional about knowing God and making him known, it reorients our way of thinking about everything. And it changes us. And this is ultimately what the church needs. Paul wanted to proclaim the gospel. That's why he says there in in verse 26, he says, I run not as uncertainly, so I fight not as one that that beats the air. In other words, I know what I'm doing. I got a purpose. I got a goal, and I'm going to that goal. And nothing is going to divide me or distract me or derail me from accomplishing that goal. It brings laser focus into our life of the gospel, of knowing God more and making him known further. But for the third time this morning, let me say this. This is not going to happen naturally. It's not going to happen automatically. You and I are going to have to be intentional about it. So how can I have gospel intentionality? Number three this morning, we're going to use the word discipline. I have to have discipline in my life. Now, if I was training to run a 50-meter sprint... I'm probably going to train a little bit differently for a 50-meter sprint than I am a marathon, right? I'm not going to run three miles just to train for 50 meters. But if I know I've got to run 26.2 miles, I don't have to train for that. I'm going to start with a half mile, then probably a mile, then probably three, then five, then 10, then 15, then 20, then up to about 25. Why? Because I want my body, when I hit mile 25 and I'm going to mile 26, or when I hit mile 26 and I'm going those last two-tenths of a mile, I want my body to respond the way it's supposed to. I don't want to get to mile 20 and be sucking oxygen going, how in the world am I going to run this last 6.2? I need to be able to not just finish the race, I need to finish the race well. 
And the Christian life is a marathon, it's not a sprint. See, the reality is most of you who have been saved, you probably started very well. You trained for a 50-meter sprint. You got out of the gates great. You know, you, you surrendered to the grace of God. You are baptized. You were on fire. You were reading every day. You were praying. You were serving. You were evangelizing. But then life started getting in the way, and you started falling back. But God wants you to finish well. Maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you didn't start well. Guess what? It's not how you start. It's how we're going to finish that matters. We have to train ourselves to be disciplined in these things. Now, a lot of people misunderstand the end of verse 27. Would you look at it with me? It says, but I keep under my body and bring it under subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul is not worried about losing his salvation. Rather, Paul is worried that if he doesn't fight the sin in his life, then he's not going to be useful to God. And he's going, I don't want to do that. I don't want to make choices that would make me unfit to be used by my master. Because Paul knew that his life wasn't his. So we can go three chapters earlier than where we are. 1 Corinthians 6 says what? Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Paul said, listen, the life I live is not mine, it's God's. The purpose I'm serving isn't mine, it's God's. The will I want done is not mine, it's God's. And that required him to be disciplined to, to not only make sure to strive for that goal, but also to resist anything that would take him away from that goal. How do we know that? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says this. Anyone who competes as an athlete is not rewarded without competing legally. All right, now, if I'm being honest, I'm not going to run a marathon anytime soon. Or like ever. God bless you who can. I'm good with it. But if I'm in a marathon, you better believe I'm calling Uber to drive me and drop me about a half a block away from the finish line. No, I'm just not going to run. Okay? Not only do I have to compete according to the rules, but I also have to make sure that I'm fighting against those things that would trip me up. We're going to dive into it, Hebrews 12, maybe next week. But listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3, 5. He says, therefore, put to death the parts of your earthly nature. Not only did Paul go, I've got to be intentional about what I do, but he also says, I have to be disciplined to fight against the sin that could derail me. So let me ask you this question, church. Are you every day fighting against the sin that is warring in your mind and in your body that could trip you up, that could defame God, that could defame the gospel and make you unfit for God's service? Are you fighting against it every single day? 
By the way, Satan doesn't take a day off. Neither do his minions. But neither does God. We can't take a day off. We've got to fight against this sin nature so that we can grow in our new nature given to us by virtue of being God's children. And what that meant for Paul, what it means for you, what it means for me is this. I've got to learn to grow in self-control. Now, self-control doesn't come naturally either. Proof of that is any toddler. You ever seen a toddler willingly want to share toys with somebody else? Me either. You ever seen a toddler see somebody that's got one of their toys and go over and want to rip it out of their hands? Now, they weren't playing with that toy. They didn't know that toy existed. But they did know that's my toy and you're not me, so why do you have my toy? And here's the reality. You and I have the spirit of a toddler inside of us. It's called our sin nature. So if, self, if self-control doesn't come natural, then how do I grow in it? Good question. I realize that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, as mentioned by Paul in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. So I pray and I seek God's help to grow in self-control. Because Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So I have to have self-control and discipline to deny myself, but intentionality to take up my cross and follow him. This is what Jesus taught us in Luke 9. Sometimes we struggle to grow. And it's been my experience in over a decade of ministry and almost 39 years of just being me, that there's one of two reasons that most Christians don't grow in their faith. Reason number one, they know what to do, but they don't want to do it. All right, it's the paradox that Paul talked about in Romans 7. The things that I should do, I don't do. The things that I shouldn't do, those are the things that I do. What's his summary? He goes, oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of sin? And the very next verse he goes, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. See, Paul... Is like you and I. He struggled because he knew what he was supposed to do. But sometimes he struggled to do it. But then the other reason that a lot of people struggle to grow in Christ's likeness is this. They don't know what to do. They desire to, to grow, but they don't know how to grow. And if I'm being honest here, that is a pri- that's primarily a failure of the church. Because instead of teaching the people to fish, many times pastors, teachers, and churches simply go fish for the people. And I want to be very unapologetic on what I'm about to say here. I'm unapologetic for being a pastor who not only wants to help you grow, and please know, I want to help you grow. But, more importantly, I want to help you learn to grow personally. For this reason. One day I'm no longer going to be here. See, I've got a date with my Savior and my Father. One of these days I'm going to lay down this 
outward temple that is wrecked by sin and I'm going to exchange it for this glorious body to be in the presence of an eternal God. But I want to know that you're prepared. I want to know that you are able to grow in the grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I don't want to handicap you. You see, it's called discipleship. It's what churches have struggled with for so many years now. But have you ever noticed how the root of discipleship is the same as the root of discipline? There's a reason for that. They're both difficult, unnatural, but they're also the results of intentional choices. Any pastor, any Sunday school teacher, any church ministry leader who wants to be all things to all people has a pride problem. I'm just going to tell you. They're living for the applause of men, not the glory of God. And God says they've got the reward. See, the same spirit that lives inside of me lives inside of his children. The same spirit that teaches me and prepares me to do what I do day in, day out, week in, week out is the same spirit that is living inside of you. And so I want you to learn how to get alone with the word of God and and allow you to read it and understand it so that you can apply it. To me, to Sunday school teachers and to ministry leaders here right now, I want all of us to hear this. Teach your people how to grow in their faith and to to depend on God, not you. I don't ever want you to depend on me. You shouldn't depend on Sunday school teaching. You shouldn't depend on church leadership or church ministry leaders. We need to learn to depend on God. How do we do it? It's a good question. So let's look at two ways. First, evaluate your life according to Scripture. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Test yourselves. In other words, do you know that you are a child of God that's been blood-bought, born again? If not, can I say something? I want to stop right here, right now, because that's where you need to go. See, we can teach you everything else, but if you're not a child of God, none of this matters. Have you placed all your hope, all your trust in Jesus Christ? Is your life one of obedience to the word of God to display the fruit that God said his children will produce. If not, in the quietness of this moment, I want to encourage you to cry out from your heart to God. Seek him. Seek his salvation. Because that's the most important thing we can ever know that we have. But for those of you who are confident that you have been blood-bought, born-again children of God, I want to share something with you. The number one discipline 
that you can create and grow in your life that will affect every other spiritual discipline in your life is this. Read the Word. Get in Scripture. Now, I'm not talking about just read a five-minute devotional, read two, three, four chapters of the Bible a day, pray a little bit, and go on. No, no, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about getting into the Word till the Word gets in us. That requires really four things. Number one, you got to read it. Number two, you got to meditate on it. Now, what does it mean to meditate? It means to think on it. To, to, when you open Scripture, to ask yourself three questions. Number one, what does it say? The good thing about God, he said exactly what he meant. All right, what does it say? Number two, what does it mean? Number three, and this is probably the most important question, how do I live this out? We're going to come back to that in a moment. But every time you read Scripture, you need to be going through those three questions. What does it say? What does it mean? How do I live this out? Why is that important? Psalm 119, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I'm going to go so far as to say this. Every problem in your personal life, every problem in the life of the church or in the world is simply because we are not reading the word until the word gets in us. Because this changes hearts and it changes lives. You want to grow? Get in it. Meditate on it so that you will know how to live. The second thing memorize it. Or third thing, memorize it. Number one, read it. Number two, meditate. Number three, memorize. Now, I can already hear some of you going, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm too old to remember. My memory isn't good enough. In Jesus' name, with as much love and compassion as I can do, stop it. You have, you have bought into a lie from Satan himself. You can memorize it. I didn't say it's going to be easy, but you can. You go, well, I don't have time. Well, let me ask you this. How many of you get hungry? How many of you, when you get hungry, even if you're really busy, take time to eat at some point? Jesus said his word is more important than the physical food we eat. So if you can make time to eat, you can make time to get in his word. And you can memorize it. Now, maybe you're wondering, why is memorization of scripture important? Good question. Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Some of you are fighting the same sins that you've been fighting for weeks, months, years for one reason. You have not grown spiritually to the point of recognizing the temptation coming to you. And even if you did recognize the temptation, you don't know how to fight against it. The Word of God is telling you the Word of God is how you fight against the temptation. We can see it in Matthew 4 when Jesus resists the devil in those temptations. He overcame Satan and temptation through the Word. Victory in this life comes from the grace of God and the word of God. Make a plan to begin memorizing scripture. Romans 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit uses scripture to slowly yet continuously kill the sin in our life. 
That's why I say that all of our personal problems, all church problems, come because we're not in the Word and the Word's not in us. Because this is the answer to everything you and I are ever going to face today, tomorrow, and forever. But then we got to take another step. We've got to take the fourth step here. So we've got to read the Word. We've got to meditate on the Word. We need to memorize the Word. Then we need to apply the Word. Psalm 119, verse 9. Ask the question, how shall a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. James 1.22 says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If you and I can get alone with the word of God and read it, and it doesn't change or challenge our attitudes, our thoughts, our words, and our actions, that's how you know that you are reading the Bible just to check off a to-do list. Because when you read the Word of God, depending on the Spirit of God, He's going to get all in your business. And he's going to point out sin. And He's going to encourage, and He's going to show you the path forward. You're kind enough to engage in a survey and as we said it's been going out countywide now there's over 200 responses to that discipleship survey that you took a couple weeks ago if you remember the first question on that survey was this how often do you read the bible and with over 200 responses in the number one response to that is this zero time or one time a week 33 of over 200 responses have said that. Guys, that breaks my heart. And I hope it breaks yours. We're fighting the fights that we're fighting. And we're fighting them unarmed because this is a, the sword of the Spirit. This is truth. This is life and this is death. And we've got to spend time in the Word of God. My question to you would be this. Is your life, is it confirming that you're a blood-bought, born-again child of God? Or are you one of those deceiving yourselves? We need to evaluate our life according to the word. Now, again, some of you are going, I got it, Pastor. I sin, I mess up. But I'm not as bad as. Again, in Jesus' name, stop it. You see, the standard that we are ascribing ourselves to, the, the standard that we are trying to achieve is not, I want to be better than this person. The standard I'm being held to is the standard of Christ. How is my life looking more like Christ, not am I better than that guy? So is your life becoming more like Christ? Or is God going, hey, you know what? We need to deal with some stuff. The second thing quickly is this. We need to train ourselves to godliness. You and I need to know this. Every one of us in here and around the world will stand before God on a judgment day. 
Now, those who have never trusted and received the grace of God to be born again, they're going to be judged on the rejection of the gospel and their life. How do I know that? Revelation 20, 11 to 15. By the way, that's not going to end well for them at all. But it doesn't mean that you and I as Christians will not also equally give an account for our life. Will we give an account for the sins of our life? No, those were paid for by the blood of Christ at Calvary. But 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, what what are believers going to be judged on? How their life brought glory to God and how they used what he gave them for God's glory and the good of others, the spreading of the kingdom. We're going to give an answer. Our goal's got to be to become more like Jesus. That's it. My pledge to you as my church family, as your pastor, is this. I'm going to do whatever I can to help you grow. And I hope you know that. I hope you know that you can come by the office. You can email me. You can text me. You can call me. You can visit me here at the office. You can visit me at the house. I want to help you. Because I want us to be who God wants us to be. But this is what I'm going to ask. You have to make a commitment to. Because if you're not committed to do your part, you could take a, a, a pastor who is far greater and smarter than I am. And that's a pretty easy list to find. And even they're not going to be able to help you. You have to take ownership of your walk with God. Which leads me to ask the most important question I can ask you again. And it's this. Do you know that you're saved? I hope you don't get offended by me constantly asking you that question. Because I don't want to pour my life out before God. And not at least extend the same grace to you that God extended to me. Why am I passionate about the word of God? Because it's changed my heart and it's changed my life. And I know it can do the same for you. But if you've never trusted in Christ, this is where you've got to start. You've got to come to a place where you understand God's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. That you didn't do anything to earn or deserve this. But Christ did it in spite of you. And he has promised to save those who surrender to that grace. And who trust in him and him alone. You can't begin to grow until you do this. In a moment, we're going to have a a public invitation. Why do we do a public invitation? For a very simple reason. We believe that we're called to respond to the word of God. We're called to respond to the spirit of God. We're to confess what he's done in our life. If you don't know that you're a blood-bought, born-again child of God, I pray today you will get along with God and understand his grace. Allow us to expound the scriptures so that you can know what it means to be saved. But maybe you're saved here. 
but there's some sin in your life that's keeping you from being useful to God. In Jesus' name, will you lay it down? Will you love Jesus more than you love your sin? If you haven't been intentional about growing, but you're going, you know what I need to. God expects it of me. You, you can come talk to me while, while we're singing that invitation. You can catch me when we're done service. I want to help you. I want you to grow. But here's the one thing I can't do for you. I can't make you. That's a, that's a response between you and God. So this invitation isn't responding to a pastor. It's not responding to a church. This is you as a person creating the image of God for the glory of God, responding to the Spirit of God because of the Word of God. Would you stand with us? We're going to pray together. Father, in the quietness of this moment, as we come to this nearing of the end of a service, Father, we profess that it has been good to be in your house and to worship you and to know you and to make you know. And Father, you know where each heart and life is here today. You know whether they have trusted you or not. Father, I pray for those who have never responded to your grace, that God, today would be that day that they would see their sin, but more importantly, they would see the Savior. And that they would give their hearts for the glory of God because you died to purchase them. And that we would begin to walk and to live in obedience. So, Father, I pray for those who are saved here today that, God, if they're not living in obedience, Lord, would they question the validity of their salvation? Because your word says, if you love me, you keep my commands. But, Father, if it's just a matter of needing to learn, needing to grow, needing to confess needing to turn from sin, God, I pray that they would do it even now, that they would be crying out from their hearts to you, knowing that you will hear them, and knowing, God, that you will work in their heart and in their life. We give this time of invitation to you, confident that as your word has gone out, it will not return void, but it will accomplish that which you have desired. So, Father, we simply say, have your will in your way, in Jesus' name, amen. As you continue to stand and we sing this song, if there's something you need to pray about, there's something you